You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. We'll grab your sermon notes there this morning. I know we're running a little behind. I apologize. I'll talk fast if you write fast, and I'll get you out of here by two. <laughs> Deal? Well, this morning we're continuing this series that we've began last week called Right on the Money. If you were not here last week, I would encourage you, please check that sermon out because this one is connected to what we talked about last week and kind of kind of builds on it. And as I said last week, when we talk about money in the church, people get nervous. Like there's a nervous vibe in the room. The pastor's going to talk about money. Um, so turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, it's going to be okay. Go ahead and tell them. Just pat them on the knee and say, hey. It's going to be okay. We didn't have anybody freak out, flip out, or die in the last two services, so I think we can make it through this one as well. As I said last week, you don't want to be wrong when it comes to the issue of money. What I know about money, it can help you, it can hurt you, it all depends on how you use it. It can set you up for um, a great present and a great future, or... If you don't know how to use money, if you use it wrongly, man, it can rob you. It can rob you of a great future. See, how we view money and use money is a big deal. So our goal should be to use the money tool wisely. That's what we want to talk about today. How do we use this tool? You know, oftentimes people think money is the answer to the problems. Like if I could just have more money, all my problems would be gone. And then oftentimes they get the money and then they have more problems because they didn't know how to manage the money tool. They didn't know how to, how to deal with the, the, the money that came to them. If you don't have a plan and a right understanding of the very money you think you need or want, it can create greater problems in your life. I, I happen to believe that money is not the answer to every problem. I believe it can help. But I don't believe it's the solution. You know, this is proved out in many situations where individuals have won the lottery. All of a sudden, they came into a lot of money, like more money than they'd ever dreamt of having. Um, and all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out, what do, I, what do I do with this money? And oftentimes, the very money that they wanted, like, really messed up their lives. Remember, I want to tell you two stories, true stories. Um, economist, uh, excuse me, there was a gentleman by the name of, of Jim Bishop who uh, did this study on people who won the lottery and kind of wrote a couple articles about what happened to people's lives. And let me tell you two of these stories. The first was a woman by the name of Rosa Grayson. Rosa of Washington State won a lottery and it, uh, the amount of money that she was going to get was $400 a week for the rest of her life. Like for Rosa, this was a lot of money, like more money than she had ever had. But you know what happened to Rosa? She won this lottery, $400 a week for the rest of her life, and then she was afraid to go outside of her apartment. All of a sudden, she became anxious and nervous and worried about money. She'd never had money before. Now she had money, and it like messed her up. Matter of fact, listen to what, this is a direct quote from Rosa about winning the lottery. She said, everyone wants something from me and people are so mean. I hope you win the lottery and see what happens to you. <laughs> Interesting. The very money she thought she wanted actually, actually created a greater challenge for her life. Here's a second story. Get two stories. This is the McGurgert family. 
The McGurgerts won a million dollars in New York Irish sweepstakes, and obviously they were thrilled, right? Big winners, big celebration. The father, um, his occupation was a steam fitter. His oldest son, who was 26, had a job loading crates down at the dock. Tim, the younger son, was going to night school. And so the father took this million dollars that they'd won, and he split it with his, his two boys. And this is what they said. Always funny how people say this. It'll not change our lives. Oh, really? One year later, one year after they had won a million dollars, the money was not gone, but it, it was bent. And it had bent their lives. The boys, were, the boys were not speaking to their father, the very one who gave them part of his earning, part of his winnings. Not only that, they were not speaking to each other. Johnny the Otis was chasing expensive horses. Tim the Younger was chasing expensive women. And both boys were on their ways to becoming alcoholics. Interesting, not only that, but the mother accused the father of hiding money from her. (laughs) Funny. Within two years, all of them were in court for non-payment of income taxes. And the mother made this statement. This is what she said. It's the devil's own money. In both of these stories, individuals had hoped for, maybe even prayed for. I know some of you, you don't don't raise your hand, some of you bought lottery tickets and you prayed about it. God, just let me win. (laughs) Right? Interesting. That's a bit of a conflict there. I'll not not unpack that. They'd hoped for it, prayed for it. All of a sudden they had the money. And again, it... It messed up their lives. Now, as I said last week, and it's really important that we understand this, money's not the problem. Money's good. Amen? Can we say that? Money's good. Money's not the problem. The problem is us. We create the problems with this this thing called money. That's why we need to be right on the money. That's why we're talking about this. And what we must understand, and this point is critical, if you get nothing else of what I say today, please grab this statement. Money is a great tool, but a horrible master. Great tool, horrible master. You can take the money tool and and honor God with it, and it it can be used as a means of worship. I mean, think about that. You can take the money tool and provide for yourself and for your family. I mean, that's a good thing. You can take the money tool and, and you can be an encouragement, a help, a blessing to others. You can take the money tool and support mission works in our community and around the world. You can take the money tool and invest it and create greater opportunity for greater good. The bottom line is, is that, is that money is a great tool if we use it in the right way. However, money is a horrible master. I mean, if you allow money to become a God in your life, it will drive you. It will own you. It will drive you to live for more. Rather than going through life being generous, you'll be stingy. Rather than using what you have to bring hope and help for others, you'll be a selfish, self-centered individual. And you may die with a lot of stuff, but you'll die and you'll take nothing with you. And hear me. Don't fool yourself. One day you will die. And then what? Money is a great tool. It's it's a horrible master. Our goal should be to use the money tool in a way that honors God and serves others. That's the goal. 
I'm going to take this tool that God's given me, and I want to use it. I want to worship it. I want to use it in a way that honors God and serves others. Listen, if we can do that well, then not only will we experience like life abundant, life good on this earth, but then there'll come a day, I believe, when we stand before our Father and we'll hear Him say these words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, right? I'm going to make you ruler over many. Pretty exciting. But we have to have a right perspective, a right perspective about about money. See, we don't serve money. We serve God. Money should serve us as we serve God, right? It's it's serving us as we're serving God and others. In Luke 16, 13, Jesus said some pretty profound words. Listen to what he said. No servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we want to use our money in a way, again, that honors God and brings greater freedom and greater life for us and others. We want to come to a place where we're, we're living free from the financial pressures of life. But what you must understand is that discovering financial freedom is really not about how much you make. Just making more won't bring you to financial freedom. It's really not about how much you make. It's, it's really about how you manage what you make. Again, how do you use the tool? If there's one thing I heard my dad say again and again and again, he drilled this into me day after day. I heard my dad say, this was his mantra, son, it's not about what you make, it's what you do with what you make. Next day he would say, son, remember, it's not about what you make, it's what you do with what you make. It's it's about using, again, this tool called money well. And money and the demands on your money will wear you out if you don't know how to use it. It will rob you of joy. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, if you look at the real facts of what's happening in our nation, we're not doing so well with money. We have a problem. In this land of opportunity, in this blessed, I mean... The United States of America, I, I don't think there's another nation on the face of this earth that is as blessed as we are. Yet, we're not doing so well with this thing called money. Let me just give you a, a few statistics that I think reveal a deeper problem. 55%, study was just in, 55% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Think about that, paycheck to paycheck. This is what that means. over half of Americans today living paycheck to paycheck. So if something happens that was not expected to happen, all of a sudden, panic, crisis, pressure, stress. Transmission on the car goes out. Didn't plan for it. Living paycheck to paycheck. All of a sudden, you've got a problem. Refrigerator dies. Stuff like that happens. 55% of Americans today living paycheck to paycheck. Here's another statistic. 30% of Americans pay the minimum due on their credit card. And they're paying out about $1,292 of interest per year. That means that they're they're not really paying much at all on on the principal. And the interest, 18 to 21%, keeps growing and growing and growing. A a few months ago, my wife and I were um, on a trip. We were down in... uh, Tampa. Earlier I said Seattle, but it was actually Tampa. We were walking down in the city of Tampa, uh, Tampa, Florida, 
Um, and I looked out in the skyline, and here's all of these big buildings, tall buildings. Do you know who owned every one of those massive structures? The banks. The credit union. How do you think they had the money to build those big buildings? They got it from us, right? Maybe they got it from you. Maybe I thought I saw one of your names on a brick in one of the buildings. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just kidding. Here's another interesting statistic that I came across. In a survey of 1,600 employees, so here's a business. They surveyed 1,600 of the employees. 47% say they are highly stressed in dealing with their financial situation. In other words, their lives are out of control because of, because of what they've done with money. Now, they would say they don't have enough money and they need more money, but I, I don't think that's the problem. I think it comes back to how we're using the money tool. Here's another statistic, one last statistic. 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account, and 39% of Americans have no savings at all. 39%. That is a really high number. Again, these statistics tell me we we have a problem. Again, I do realize there can be situations beyond our control that create the, the problem. I, I do understand. So I don't want you, everyone just to go away feeling bad. I understand that there's medical situations. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe you're underemployed, which I, actually I think possibly there's something we can do about that. So there are things that happen in life that's out of our control. Okay, I'll I give you that. But I happen to believe that most, most of the time we find ourselves in huge financial messes, not because of what we can't control, but what we can control. I want to talk about that. How can we come to a place of experiencing financial freedom? I really believe that's what God wants for you. God never meant for money to rule your life and ruin your life. I'm telling you, that's not God's plan. God's plan is he gave us a tool to use. So how can we come to financial freedom? Five principles. But before I give you those, let me do a quick infomercial. We have coming up a class, a financial class called Financial Peace University. We've offered this class numerous times. Every time we offer, people's lives are transformed. Marriages are transformed. Individuals gain insight and understanding on how to use this tool called money. They get plans as to how to spend their money. They get plans as to how to get out of debt. Every session, people's lives are changed. They come to greater freedom in their lives. So we're offering this beginning on January the 30th. Actually, there's a preview class this Wednesday. But January the 30th is the first of nine classes. So it's a nine-week class. Um, and I would encourage you if, you, if you're in a place of financial stress and you want to come to a place of greater freedom, you need to take this class. Um, the cost is $109 for all of the material. But what we've committed to do as a congregation, as a church family, is if you'll take the class and you go to every class, don't come to me and say, Pastor, I made seven out of nine. I'm going to say, too bad. If you make nine out of nine classes, we will refund you the cost of the class. Why? Because we believe it will help you, and we want to help you come to a place of greater financial peace and freedom in your life. Let me tell you how much I believe in this. Our son, Caleb, who's uh, turning 
who's 18, getting ready to graduate from high school, I, um, I, I had to bribe him a bit. I don't know how you feel about bribing, but I, I, I think it's okay. Um, <laughs> it cost me $350. I had to pay my son what he would be making if he was at work, uh, which I thought was a fair trade-off. Because this is what I know. If at 18 he can gain solid financial principles that will guide him the rest of his life, it will set him up for a great future, understanding how do I use this money tool. That, that's how much I believe in the class. I believe it will help. So again, I have a table out by Clanton Hall. You can stop by uh, if you want information on the class. So with that, let me talk with you really quick. I know time's getting away from us, but I, I want to really quickly give you five principles that come to financial freedom. The first is this, honor God first. Practice the principle of tithing. I'm going to talk about this more in two weeks. I don't want to say much about it now. I'll pick up in two weeks and, and we'll talk about it. But this is what I can tell you. If you choose to honor God first in your finances, if you choose to trust him, it opens the way for God to bring his good work, his good provision in your life and for your life. Listen, I've been practicing this principle for 35 years, since I was 18 years old. As I got married, my wife and I continued practicing this principle. It, I'm telling you, God is true to his word and the principle works. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to how the scripture reads. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. Want to find greater financial freedom? I believe it comes first as we honor God first. You know, you, you can... There's two roads you can travel here. One, you can say, you know, I'm going to keep it all for myself, and I'm going to launch out on my own, and I'm going to make it on my own. You can do that. Or you can say, God, I'm going to honor you with the first part, and I'm going to live in confident expectation of your provision for my life and for my family. The choice is yours. But I believe if you're going to come to a place of true financial freedom, first principle is we honor God First, here's here's the second principle that positions us for financial freedom is this. You need to develop a plan for your money, a plan. Listen, if you don't have a plan for your money that tells your money how it's going to work for you, how the money tool is going to work for you, you're going to at the end of every month, you're going to say, where'd the money go? I don't know. Where'd the money go? Did you spend it? No, I didn't spend it. I don't know. I don't know where it went. If you don't have, a, if you don't have a, a spending plan, then what happens is oftentimes you end up spending money you don't have on things that maybe you really don't need. Why? Because you didn't have a plan. You're just kind of going through life throwing money everywhere. What do you need? You need a, you need a plan. You need a spending plan. You need a, a budget. Again, a budget is a, simply tool that, uh, it's a simple tool that tells the money tool how it's going to serve you and your family. You need, you need a plan. It, any um, college basketball junkies in the room besides me? Did you watch any of the games yesterday? Carolina, Duke. Both of them made really good games, right? 
If, if you didn't see it, really good games. I'm glad they both won, so I don't have to like pick one or the other. Uh, you know, you, you kind of get in between the Duke and the Carolina fans. Uh, but they both won. If you watch uh, really good games, and uh, you know, how did they win? Well, obviously they have talent. They have some really talented players, um, and they can play a little better than I can play. Great players, but this is what I can tell you: they won. They won the game because Coach K, Coach Williams. What I can guarantee you, they had a game plan before they got on the floor. They didn't just show up and say, hey, let's just see what happens. No, they had a game plan before they got into the game, and they ran the plan, and the plan helped them win. Listen, it's the same in your finances. If you have a plan for your money, then that plan will help you win, and it will relieve you of like stress and pressure. There's a few things that a well-developed spending plan will do for you. First is it will help you control your spending. In other words, if it's not in your plan, then you don't spend the money. The second thing is this. It will help you get out of debt if you're in debt. What a good plan does. The third thing is a spending plan will help you build wealth. If you want to move from financial crisis to wealth, and listen, God's okay with wealth. Now, some folks think, well, God doesn't like wealth. No, the scripture says that it's God who gives us the ability to gain wealth, and in that, he confirms his covenant. God doesn't have a problem with wealth. He has a problem with what wealth does to us. Well, you, you need a plan that, that can help you gain, the gain wealth. I think a, a fourth thing a spending plan will do will help reduce your stress. Because, again, you have a plan that's guiding you. So if you don't have a plan for your money, you need one. That's why I would say, hey, you need to take the FPU class. They will help you get a plan. So the, the second principle is what you need a plan. Here's a third principle for financial freedom. Guard yourself from foolish debt. Foolish debt. Now, I think we would all agree that the best place to be in life is to be totally debt free. Would you agree with that? Some of you have achieved that. If you have, here's a high five for you. Congratulations. I think it's great. I think that's, that's a great goal to, to move toward in life. For probably most of you in the room today, you're like me. Like, I didn't have enough cash to pay, to pay for a house. Like, I didn't have a rich uncle that died and left me a lot of money. So I've had to work and earn and save and plan. And so when I wanted to get a home, which I think is a good investment. I wanted to get a home. I had to go get a loan. I had to go incur debt. Now, if there's any such thing as good debt, I would say good debt is debt and an asset that's appreciating in value, that's gaining value. So what's foolish debt? Here's foolish debt. Foolish debt is money that you spend on a depreciating asset or money that you spend that you don't have. In other words, you can't pay it back. Or foolish debt is when you carry debt on a credit card that's costing you 18 to 21% interest every month. What is that? It's foolish debt. Let me show you. I have an illustration for you to show you um, how foolish debt can be and, and how much it can cost you. I put this on the screen so you'd be able to see the numbers. And here's just a little illustration about foolish debt. If you pay... per month 
on a debt of $14,517 at an interest rate of 18%, it will take you 40 years to pay off the debt totaling. Your total cost out of pocket is going to be $104,606.40. Folks, that is insane. That's crazy. If you're going to come to a place of financial freedom in your life, you're going to have to guard yourself from foolish debt that's costing you, that's draining you, that's creating greater pressure in your life and for your life. Proverbs 22.7 reads like this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant. The borrower is a slave to the lender. If you're a slave to your debt, listen, you don't have to remain in that place. Again, not to be redundant, but FPU is a great class to help you get a plan to break out of. Listen, it's probably not going to happen in a month. It's not going to happen probably in three months or six months. But if you get a plan and work a plan, you can move yourself from a place of being in financial bondage to a place of being in financial freedom. You have to guard yourself. Guard yourself from... Foolish debt. The fourth principle is really connected to the third principle. Here it is. The fourth principle for financial freedom is you need to embrace the value of self-control. In other words, you need to learn to say, no. We're not very good at saying no. We bought into the lie as Americans. You, know, you can have whatever you want. Just go buy it. Just go get it. Don't think about tomorrow. I mean, why would we worry about tomorrow? I mean, you can have what you want today. You can, you can have it now. And just pull out the plastic, you know, just kind of do that swiping thing. Now you don't even have to swipe. You can just hold your card in front of it and kind of like, little, whatever happens. Interesting, true story. There was a dad that was in a store with his five-year-old daughter. And she found an expensive gadget that she wanted. And the dad, you know, she asked her dad if he would buy it. And he was trying to explain to her that he didn't have the money to buy that gadget. And you know what the five-year-old said? The dad just pull out the plastic and charge it. Five years old. And we're, we're not real good at saying no. We're not real good at, 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 at delaying uh, delayed gratification of waiting for something greater. And this is what I know. If you don't learn to say no, you're always going to be in a financial crisis. You're always going to be in a place where there's not enough money to cover all that you've spent. Because you have desires running out of control. This is how it plays out. We, rather than buying a, a nice used car that we could afford that would be good transportation, we go buy a brand new car with all the bells and whistles that we can't afford, and all of a sudden we've just created, what, financial pressure. And after a month or so, how many of you know, the new wears off, right? I don't know if you've ever done this. You can get the little aerosol cans and spray that makes it smell new. So it makes you feel better about the purchase when you're still making payments years later for that car. Or oftentimes we we buy homes, and I'm not against buying a home. I'm, I think it can be a great investment. But oftentimes we buy more home than we can afford because we're trying to keep up with someone else. 
And we, what do we do? We, we create pressure. We, we create our own crisis because we didn't have the ability. We didn't have the ability to say, to say no. Listen, if you're going to come to a place of financial freedom, you're going to have to practice self-control and learn to say no. If you're spending, it's continually outpacing your income. You'll always, you'll always be in a place of financial distress. You've got to learn to say no. I mean, think about it. How many pairs of shoes do you really need? I counted up the other day and I had seven different pairs of boots. There's hunting boots. There's church boots. There's farm boots. Or how many tool sets can you really use? Or how many, how many guns? Uh, the other day I was at a store and they were having this closeout sale and I was captivated by, I've got, because I enjoy the outdoors, I, I, have, I have 20 plus guns. Why did I need another gun? No, really. It, it sounds funny looking at it now. My wife asked me twice, why did you buy that? And right now it's sitting in a corner drawing dust because why did I I need that? You ever get buyer's remorse? Do you really need a $5 Starbucks twice a day? Getting a little personal now, aren't we? That's $10 a day, $70 a week. That's $280 a month. If you're in a place of financial crisis, you're not helping your situation. Do you really need another electronic gadget? Again, I'm not trying to be difficult or or overbearing, but if you don't learn self-control, if you don't come to a place of contentment and you're always wanting more and your desire is outpacing your income, then you're always going to be in trouble. To truly come to a place of financial freedom, it, you have to embrace the value, the value of self-control. Here's the final principle for discovering financial freedom. It's this, choose to live generously. Choose to use what you have to be a blessing and help for others. Choose to live generously. Now, I know this principle analytically doesn't make sense. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. Like the numbers, if you do the numbers thing, it doesn't work. For example, let's say that I have $100 and I choose to give Miss Jean Twenty dollars of my hundred dollars. Do I have more or do I have less? Oh no, less. I had a hundred. I gave her twenty, so now I have eighty. Eighty is less than a hundred. Well, that's where I'm going. Don't don't get there before I get there. So analytically, mathematically, it doesn't make sense, does it? If I give away, then I have less than what I had. 
That's what our mind tells us. But God so honors generosity as a kingdom principle that as we live generously, it opens the way for God to pour, for God to bring His provision into our lives. Now, I believe if you're truly going to get to a place of, of financial freedom, you have to choose to embrace generosity that opens the flow. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, great verse of Scripture. It's on the screen. Would you read this with me? Let's read this together. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Notice, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So one man gives freely, but notice what the Scripture says, that he gains even more. So how do we get to financial freedom? I believe it's the road of generosity that gets us there. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the 23 years that I've pastored this congregation. Early on, early on in my leadership, I was talking with God about building and where we're going to get the money and how's that going to happen. And I really believe the Holy Spirit said to me, this is back when I was 29, The Holy Spirit said to me, if you sow the seed, I'll bring the harvest. From that point forward, the leadership and myself here at Grace Covenant decided we were going to lead generously. We look for opportunities to give money away to great kingdom initiatives. We don't hold on to what we have. No, as a congregation, we live with open hands. That's why we do the thing like a blessing basket. Why? It's better to give than to receive. That's what I know. And as we've done that, what God has so blessed our church family. Why? The principle is true and the principle works. And when it comes to financial freedom in your life, you have to choose. Choose to live generously. So my advice to you today as we sum all of this up, my advice to you is to make sure that God's your master and that money is a tool that you're using. May it be a tool that you use to serve God and serve others. And if you, if you choose that road, if you choose that path, then this is what I can tell you. You're going to come to a place of experiencing greater life and greater freedom in your life. Why? You're taking the principles of God's Word and you're simply putting them to work in your life. And it's there that God brings His freedom and His provision. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for biblical principles. Because, God, you knew that we were going to be challenged. You knew that we were going to be tripped up and at times messed up with this thing called money. You knew that we would make it more than a tool to use. And it would cost us. So, God, thanks. Thanks for truth. Truth that helps us navigate life to come to a place of financial freedom, not a place of financial bondage. But my prayer today for myself, for everyone here, is that we would be able to take these principles and as simple as they are, that we would be able to begin to work them into our lives. God, that we can experience life as as you have for us. Jesus, you said you came to give us life and life abundant. Lord, may that be the reality as individuals take this tool called money and they use it to honor you and to serve us. I pray today for individuals who would be here, and I know there would be a number, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I, 
I wouldn't want to embarrass you, but you're in a place today of financial crisis, financial stress. It's messing with your marriage. It's messing with your family. It's keeping you up at night. Lord, I pray for those individuals that today they would not hear condemnation, but they would hear hope. That there's hope even in their situation. Lord, I pray that they would be willing to take the necessary steps to do the work. Maybe to get a coach to get into this FPU class or to take necessary steps. God, this is what I know. We don't have to stay in a place of financial bondage. God, that's not your plan. You have a greater plan for our lives. Lord, I I pray for folks who would be in that place today. Again, may they be encouraged. May they have hope. And Holy Spirit, help them. From this, from this message today, to take the necessary steps to move from that place of bondage to a place of freedom that you have for them. I know it may take months to get there. But Lord, what I know is they don't have to stay where they're at. Holy Spirit, work in their lives and in their finances, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.